but I, I hate walking on those really, really bright sunny days, middle of the day. Um, it's just, there's too much harsh light and it's really, really hard to see sheds. Mm. So those cloudy days or early in the day, late in the day, just when there's, when it's a little bit darker, um, the sheds just pop a lot better. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, powered by DeerCast. This is episode number 251, and you are Matt Drury. Matt Drury. You are Tim Chelswick, the first. <laughs> Too many consonants, not enough vowels. That's right. That's me. That's what she said. <laughs> If she's know. an English teacher, maybe. <laughs> maybe. All right. So uh, today we got a fun guest, somebody that's mm-hmm. putting in a lot of work. A lot of miles. Farm, a lot of miles. We're going to talk about shed hunting. We're going to talk about the type of work you're putting into the farm, whether you're frost eating or any other kind of work that you're doing this time of year. I want to yeah. get into kind of the nitty gritty. Everybody always says that the, the big deer killers always say, you want to kill big deer this is the time of year that you guys start putting in the work there is no off season i'd like to know what the hell i'm supposed to be doing because <laughs> i since, feel like i'm off right since now since i'm a, not a big deer killer <laughs> yes. can somebody tell me what to do <laughs> yes i i went and pulled some blinds uh last week yeah and uh and found that the snow had not been kind to some of them we yeah. got a lot of snow and ice here in the St. Louis area. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. We, ideally, I know like Scott today headed up to um, one of my farms, and we, we got a you know a side by side and a, an electric vehicle there that need to be serviced that mm-hmm. just haven't sure. kind of been neglected for a couple of years, and and so I need to get them serviced. I'm like, man, we need to do that here in February before we start needing it in the spring and. So anyways, he was going up to do that, and it, we got a bunch of weather coming in. It would be nice to get all of our soft side mm-hmm. covers off because you leave those things out, man. They get ripped up, then you're kind of UV SOL. light isn't great to them. Yeah, so mm-hmm. anyways, we, we got a, a lot of work to do. We, we want to frost seed over at the new lease as well, and, and, and a bunch of the plots that didn't come up, they're basically bare dirt. So be a great time to frost seed. So we're mm-hmm. going to wait until this next you know, weather event comes through this week and then go in and frosty sure. those. So we get, we do have some plans that, that we're trying to knock out, but also we've been working on the new farmhouse and trying to get it set and ready. Cause we basically did a full renovation on the inside mm-hmm. of that thing. And, um, I look forward to, we're, we're kind of filming all of it and or we're going to do a little kind of short series, maybe three, four part series, probably air it towards the summertime. You're going to uh, become like, our own Bob Vila. Yeah. More like Tim Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Missing a finger. Yeah. Stitches. The tool man. <laughs> Not really knowing what's happening. Yes. Just kind of haphazardly getting things done. Scott will be your Al Borland. Scott, Scott's my Al. Straight. That's right. Here's how you really do it, I don't it, think Tim. so, Tim. <laughs> so we need that sound. Aaron, we need... Uh, Aaron, <laughs> Alan. Alan. Little Alan. We need that sound bite saying, from, from Al... Home improvement saying, I don't think think so, so, Tim. Yeah. I'm guessing I'm going to hear that quite a bit. That's right. Anyway, so we went in and tore out everything in the house. We went in and had blown in insulation, bunch, it had a mouse issue. And so we, I rented a vacuum, like a industrial vacuum Mm -hmm. machine and we sucked out all the insulation. And, uh, then we, I hired a company to come in and and spray that closed cell spray on the attic and kind of enclose it all in and help with the heating and cooling and all that stuff. And then we're just, we ripped out everything on the inside and we're on the beginning stages of the the install we get the flooring and the cabinets sure. in and got to get it painted and, and a few other things but anyway so that's step one step or step kind of one and two i guess rid of tearing out step one putting in step two phase three is going to be the farming side of it so mm-hmm. we're trying to get all this stuff done so we can focus basically all spring summer into the fall on on what we're going to be doing on the farming yeah. side do you think it's going to be habitable by turkey season uh, yeah, I mean, cool. as far as 
as far as being able to stay there, I think by mid-March it's going to be ready. Okay. So that's definitely the goal. The goal is turkey season because, I mean, I'm getting trail camera pictures of long beards, four or five long beards. Scott's so. always spinning. Scott's office, is, Scott's office area is right across from mine. He's <laughs> got a desk on a wall. <laughs> he does, yeah. He has a space. And he'll spin around, like, whenever he gets a Reconyx cell camp. Yeah. Like, like, oh, Tim, look at this. <laughs> look at the rope on this one. <laughs> He's so excited. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think he and I will be able to kill a couple birds there um, this spring, and I, I'm excited about that. And Aaron Bennett, who sold me the farm, he or was the agent on it, told told me that he's like, man, that you know, told me where the little hot spot was. Yeah. He said you'll be able to kill some birds Sweet. here. So yeah, the plan is it's going to be done and ready to kill some turkeys. Turkey season. What is the 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 switch for you? Like f- between deer and turkey, what does it? As far as when I start getting excited, the time of year I start getting excited about turkey hunting. Yeah, and is there like a particular thing, like a trigger for you? Well, I think I think honestly, well, watching Mark go kill fifty turkeys doesn't hurt. I mean, it's like, oh man, Mark's out. He starts in March usually. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, whatever states are open, he starts traveling around the country. So you kind of start like early March. I still don't really care about it. Mm-hmm. We get into April, the beginning of April, you start maybe getting some warm temperatures. That's when I really start. Yeah. It's like, man, it's almost here. Cause I'm just hunting in Missouri. So that, that's usually around 18th, 19th of April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when I get excited about it. But I love turkey hunting way more than deer hunting. It's just that it's such a short season and I usually only get to go maybe a couple days mm-hmm. during the season. So it's right. Yeah. My wife's birthday is right there on usually opening day or week, it's you know, inconsiderate of her, <laughs> her dad was turkey hunting when she was born. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was not the stars there. were crossed from the very beginning. Yeah. She, she, she should have known better. I, I know better. I don't do. Yeah, good call. I'm there for the birthday. Good call. <laughs> so this morning I walked out to the truck and it was like, 55 degrees, yeah. something crazy. And the car, there was a cardinal singing. And I was like, it kind of feels like it's almost turkey season. Yeah. But it's going to be low of like 23 <laughs> tonight. So Look at, we sound like old guys talking yeah. about the weather. Can barely get up. My <laughs> knees were hurting. <laughs> the humidity. Yeah. It's not so much the heat as it is the humidity. <laughs> that old walnut. Okay. Well, let's uh, welcome our newest Rack Pack members. As All always, right. there's one. Uh, there's one live. There's one in, every, one in every crowd. So if you don't know what the Rack Pack is, go to Facebook, hit the search button, and go to the Jury Outdoors 100% Wild Rack Pack. It's mm-hmm. the backbone of this podcast. It is. I dare say the company. The company, yeah. Whoa. We're starting small. We're growing at large. <laughs> we're saying a bunch of stuff we can't back up. That's what she said. All right. Yes. So Trevor looked, Lucked, Anthony Hill, Frank Norman, Russell Fartree. Russell Fartree is the fake name, I believe. <laughs> it's hard telling. I don't want to pass judgment on any one of their last names. All right. So, but it's probably Anthony Hill. Okay. That's my guess. All right. Uh, so, uh, also, we love your reviews on Apple Podcasts or any whatever podcast player you're listening to. Why you're leaving a review? Subscribe. Yeah, it's yeah. simple. Simple. How much Easy. does it cost? Nothing. It's free, Tim. Uh-huh. Sounds like a slam dunk then to me. That's right. Uh, And also, just know, in the Rack Pack, we're going to be putting out a little survey. You guys can have some feedback on the show. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want more of, what you want less of. And even if it's like, I want less of Tim... We'll we'll take that into account. Armat, I'm mm-hmm. open to not being here. So <laughs> some days I'm not here. That's right. And we still have the show. But basically, we're kind of pre-planning for upcoming episodes and, and trying to get a little better about scheduling ahead. And we're we're mm-hmm. running ahead right now, actually, and we're trying to keep up with that pace. So we're just looking for suggestions from the viewers and listeners on what they're wanting more of and are less of, and uh, we'll go from there. So I'll tell you one guy they want some more of. Forrest Bonner. Forrest. Forrest Terry's not only, he's got a long list of things, much like Scott, much like Wade, much like Perry, <laughs> much like Tim. Jacks like of all Alan. trades. That's right. All of our editors, everybody has a million jobs. <laughs> no one does one job. But Forrest, he, his primary job is that he is the farm manager for Terry. So that consists of Terry's property in Missouri, their lease over in Illinois, any other things that might pop up. They have a couple leases in Missouri as well. Uh, but Forrest is also the primary 
photographer, camera guy, <laughs> editor at times, cook, cook, definitely primary yes. cook. Uh, so welcome aboard to the podcast today, Forrest. What's up, man? Not much. How are you guys doing? We're good. We felt like we needed an expert in shed hunting and someone uh, who finds them. Yeah, that definitely isn't me. I'm good at the walking part. The finding part. Here's the deal, though, and I, I'd be curious of your opinion, Forrest. You're, you're shed hunting in areas that have high deer densities. Before you worked with us and at Terry's places, you know, you think about Wade and uh, Perry and those guys. They're, they're in areas where there's high deer densities. Did you Were you this good at shed hunting before you were shed hunting these types of farms? Um, I mean, up in it, like I grew up in northern, northeast Indiana, and we found a few sheds randomly, but I didn't really look for them. Um, it wasn't really something that, I mean, our deer just weren't as big up there, and um, the deer density was pretty low. So, I mean, if we stumbled upon them turkey hunting or something, we'd pick them up, but I didn't really look for them a ton. Um, then I went to college down in southern Illinois, and some of my buddies down there were really big into it, and that's where I started to really start putting on the miles. We'd get out of class in the spring, and I mean, we'd go... We'd walk, I think a couple of years, we walked over a hundred miles down there on public ground. And um, some of my buddies had some farms they had permission on and we'd walk them. And um, that's where I really, the shed bug kind of bit me. And I found, we did, we found a lot down there. Um, and then obviously when I started working for your dad, it was like, okay, I hit the jackpot on the shed. Honey. Yeah. <laughs> Actually the very first day um, I was up here at the farm, your dad and I went for a ride and he kind of showed me around the farm and I found like a hundred and, 40 inch match set. And I was like, okay, this is pretty sweet. <laughs> this I'm going to take this job. Little did you know, Terry had planted those. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you know, young man? You are really good at this. <laughs> no, it's it pretty cool. But yeah, college is where I really started getting into shed hunting pretty hard. So you and Zach Plale, you guys, you, you do a lot of shed hunting together. Zach, of course, been on the Drury Outdoors team for a long time. And you, you hunt, you know, his stuff, our stuff. And you guys also get to hunt uh, Jim Tomey stuff, shed hunt Jim Tomey stuff. Zach helps out a lot on the land management side over there. So, you know, I'm looking for some advice or tips on where you guys are seeing the most success or seeing, because I, I know, you know, the old saying about south facing hillsides and like, the, the you know, fence lines, like where, where are you guys seeing the most success or the, the best ratio of finding sheds? What are you looking for? What kind of days are you going out? You know, those, I know all those things make a difference. Yeah. So, um, primary number one is food, obviously. I mean, obviously on Jim and Zach and on your dad's farms here, we got a lot of standing crops or those green plots. Um, typically we'll go and hit those first and any, I really like looking at little grassy strips around, um, around food. Cause I find a lot of times, like if you watch and if you're sitting on a food source, a lot of times you'll see deer, um, they'll get up and feed a little bit and they'll go bed down in those grassy strips mm -hmm. or little grassy areas. Um, so a lot of times those deer will get up, go to those grassy areas. So we find a lot of those sheds in those little grassy strips right around the food sources. So like say in a big ag field, like a lot of those waterways, they're nice and grassy and the deer like to bed in those versus out in the actual field. So we'll hit those waterways a lot. Um, and then obviously, like you said, those south facing hillsides. Um, so we'll go on like Onyx or some kind of mapping app and look and we'll look at the food sources and we'll try to find the closest south facing hillside and then we'll find trails that go between that south facing hillside and that food source and that's kind of where we find most of our sheds is either on those south facing hillsides or on the food um but i grassy areas i prefer shedding grassy areas versus timber um, i just feel like those deer bed in them more and they're just they're easier to find um as far as weather goes i i like walking when it's actually raining or right after a rain stop so sheds pop so much, those sheds pop so much more. I mean, when they get wet and it's just cloudy, that white bone, it just, it almost has like a shine to it. So hold on, hold on. I, that's what she said. I'm sorry. I had to, there was too many in the windows there. <laughs> okay. Continue. He's <laughs> <Okay. laughs> so like, did you get that out of your system? I guess okay. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> but I, I hate walking on those really, really bright sunny days, middle of the day. It's just there's too much harsh light, and it's really, really hard to see sheds. Mm. So those cloudy days or early in the day, late in the day, just when there's when it's a little bit darker, 
um, the sheds just pop a lot better. Go ahead. No. Well, I was just going to say, so well, I was the, gonna say. the theory behind the south facing hillsides is that especially this time of year, that's where they're betting most of the time getting some sunlight, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, obviously the, the sun is going to be further to the south. So almost if you look like when you get snow, the south facing hillsides are always going to melt off, melt off faster. So mm-hmm. like we've had a lot of snow up here recently. Like we just got like six inches in Illinois the other day. And our trail cameras that are facing on south-facing slopes, all the snow's melted off of Marty, and that's where a lot of the deer activity is versus those north-facing hillsides. There's still maybe four or five inches of snow on them, even though it's been 50 degrees. And those deer like those south-facing hillsides to bed because they're like, if they have the chance to bed on leaves or grass versus on the snow, they're going to choose that leaves and grass every time. Yeah. Talk about optics. Do you use glass when you're out shed hunting? And if so, in what way? I literally feel lost. I don't have my loopholes on me. I carry them every single time I shed hunt and it's going to save you a lot of walking. Cause you see, say you see a stick over there 50 yards away and you're like, Oh man, that looks like an antler tine sticking up. You can either throw your glass up and look at it or you can walk over there. So I, I literally, I don't ever go shed hunting without, without any type of optic. See a lot of sticks. <laughs> Good at spotting branches. Corn, like little corn stubble. Yeah. Yeah. Or like sometimes a stick will be like on the ground and it's got fungus, like a white fungus on it. And it looks white. I, yeah, I, I was driving through one of my hunting areas last weekend and I saw that. What I thought was, oh, it's an antler way back in the woods. And I got out and went back there and it was fungus. See, good pair of binoculars would have saved, saved you. Could have me some walking because everyone know I hate walking. I was going to say, walking. you like the exercise. I don't, I don't you don't count. <laughs> you don't you purposely you go don't. without your binoculars <laughs> just to go walk around aimlessly. <laughs> He's bragging about how bad he is at shed hunting. I yeah. put in 12 miles today. Didn't find a single one. So do you have any much luck, you know, around fence crossings or anything like that? You know, that, uh, of course, them jumping up over or maybe, you know, trying to go under, you know, antlers popping off when they jump over, that type of stuff yeah sometimes i mean anytime there's that deer's gonna have some sort of shock that goes through its body if it say it hops across the ditch um hops across the fence um drops down into like a creek crossing or something i found quite a few of them in creek crossings where they go off the bank and they kind of go down and hit the bottom of it and slow down it'll knock them off so mm-hmm. i mean anytime um i mean the deer they spend the, their majority of the time in their food source and in their beds this time of year but um, on those trails, any any time where the deer could have some sort of impact or shock that goes through its body, um, kind of a change of pace, it might it could possibly knock those antlers off. What percentage do you think are still holding? And this is we're Currently. filming February twenty second, so this will air next week, so end of February. So up here in Missouri, I feel like probably. 50% are still holding. And in Illinois, I feel like about 60, 65% are still holding. I, I honestly feel like that's one of the biggest mistakes people make in shed hunting is as soon as deer season ends, they're like, okay, they might see a shed buck the last week of the season when they're out hunting. They're like, oh man, they're going to start shedding. They start walking now. They're going to bump deer. And uh, so, I mean, we really, I haven't walked at all this year, really. I mean, I, um, I found a few out working, but they're not. I'm not intentionally out walking yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my cameras, I mean, I'm, I, you know, the the new lease, it's still almost all the deer. I'm seeing a few half, you know, shed, you know, half sides. But for the most part, they're still carrying. Um, at the old Ellsbury lease, they were still carrying as of, uh, as of like maybe a week ago. And, and I haven't seen the kind of bachelor group of bucks have disappeared in the last week or so. So I don't know. I haven't paid enough attention if some of those are, have shed and they're, they're still there and I just sure mistaking them for does or what. I haven't really paid, zoomed in and looked at all of them. I get hundreds of pictures a night, sure. but in general, most of them are still carrying. Some of those are deer pictures too, right? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of, I got a picture, uh, a text. Someone sent me a text. It was a young lady and she said, "That's what she, she said. said." I was daydreaming about you earlier this morning. I thought we should catch up. I'll send you a pic. Look at how nice she looks. Oh, this is fake, Tim. Don't reply to that. <laughs> I gave her my sosh. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I shouldn't have. No, 
Ah, oh, man. Up. I was going to leave work early today and yeah. have dinner. It's about hair on the podcast. Oh, yeah. That's that's what you should reply to her is like, hey, I have a podcast. Would you mind being a guest? That's great. Her number it comes from Sri Lanka for some reason. Weird. So I I don't know. But good for me. Yeah, I guess. Speaking of shed hunting. All right. <laughs> so Forrest, you actually just found a, a good uh, set there in Missouri that, that you and dad, a deer that a lot of us had passed all year long and <laughs> one that we're looking forward to seeing next year. Um, and you just kind of randomly happen to walk across them. <laughs> Tell us, take us through that. Yeah. So it's a deer we know well, and we decided uh, at the beginning of the year there, we were going to pass him, um, just give him another year, see what he does. And I had, I know you had an encounter with him. Terry and I had a couple of encounters with him. Had Tanner in the blind one day at an encounter. Um, but I was going out and pulling a couple of trail cameras actually. And I literally came around this little corner of our road and looked up and about 60 yards ahead of me up in the road. I see this big shed laying there and right away I knew it had to be him and got pretty excited about it and found that one and um, kind of went about my day. And my fiance got home from work uh, later that night. And I was like, why don't we go out and try to, uh, try to match him up to see if he's close by anyways and we went out and walked and about five minutes later she she was like hey there's a shed laying over there and walk over and sure enough it was his match so pretty Crazy. cool um he's pretty nice deer we're really really excited about him for next year yeah absolutely it's amazing to me because we just talked about those percentages of what's how many are holding mm -hmm. and here you got you know a, a good deer and he's dropped both sides it's just like i well this might have been one of your wildlife words one day about why they drop or how they drop their antlers. I know I had, I think if I remember right, that particular wildlife war was more about like sparring or, or you know, the less stress of a of, word and more of a concept. Yeah. yeah. But, but that, that, that a deer's hormones, like their testosterone levels can change if they get beat by a more dominant buck. And just that change in hormones when they lose that battle can trigger them to shed that moment. So that's one reason of what, many probably that... Shame. Yeah, it's, yeah I feel that. <laughs> like you just Story got your my life. butt kicked at the bar. <laughs> yes. You're not going to stick around the bar. <laughs> it is It is striking. Like uh, I, I, someone on social posted a video of, of a, buck, like, buck, a buck running across the field and its antlers just popped off falling off and it's i just think it's got to be kind of embarrassing like oh, the one like they're the, naked the one trait that that that, that establishes your sex is i'm a buck i got antlers it'd be like like if your beard just flew off are you randomly <laughs> <laughs> well they still have that bucks don't shed those that's right you well, realize that right i'm just saying that's the one trait that makes you a man tim <laughs> maybe not for everybody but <laughs> beard helps all right <laughs> but imagine if your beard just <laughs> shed your beard Yes. I realize you can shave a beard off. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. But that's, that's voluntarily. As, that doesn't make as much sense it's, as it's a, a body part. It's a, <laughs> that makes I don't you want a man. To think, I don't want to think about your scenario. <laughs> makes me sad. Only we're having a good time. <laughs> forced, forced to shut down. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Thanks, guys. Are they really recording this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can move along. <laughs> Forrest, I'm curious with, with the history that you guys have with deer on Terry's property, do you find that certain bucks shed in the same location every year or maybe there's no correlation there um yes and no um like this deer he's we're not sure he's either four or five and these are actually the first sheds i've ever found off him. we knew about in the last two years um and i didn't find either of his sheds and it's kind of weird sometimes and it depends on the year like on a really cold year the sheds will be really condensed around the food like on a warm year they'll scatter and it's really hard to find them um like i mean i've had years where it's super cold and you go and um like we had a farm it sold it was the farm that terry had it was a 248 um i know matt knew about that farm um there was this one big bottom we had about 10 acres of corn and i picked up 27 sheds off just Whoa. that bottom right around that corn because it was real cold those deer were socked in there um but then we've had warm years where you got to walk. I mean, you might go two miles in between sheds. So it all kind of depends on, on the food and stuff. But typically, it, once a deer has their core area, we'll kind of have an idea like, okay, we'll probably find that deer's sheds kind of in this drainage or um, around this food source. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not really a hard rule, I guess. 
27 sheds in one day. That has to be your best day ever finding sheds. That wasn't all one day. That was, that was, I think three different trips. Gotcha. That, Zach and I had a day last year. We picked up 40, I think we picked up 44 in one day. It was the best day. How many miles did you put on? Uh, I don't extract on. I walked 13.7 that day. It's a half marathon plus. Yeah. My best day was 45 antlers. So just a little bit more than what you got. My <laughs> best day was finding one. Hey, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> I, I was just talking to the kids about shed hunting here recently and reminding because I took Bo and Sophie last year. Sophie found one kind of in front of Bo. She picked it up. She's elated. And he's like, oh, no. I don't get it. She's like just total opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. That's that's really an insight into how adults oh, yeah. <laughs> look at it. Yeah. Because when you back in the day, we used to go shed hunt. Like Terry's place with all his construction guys or up at Mark's place with like the Drury Outdoors team. Mm-hmm. And doing that with that many people like you'd form a you know police line and and just start walking through it sucked because there's always those guys like booty or that that are really good at shed hunting Uh and they'd see it a mile away and have great eyesight and they'd take off in front of you and it's like son of a gotta get faster i but there's it's never ever happening (laughs) i have to stumble upon it (laughs) matt stepped on one (laughs) broke his foot (laughs) what about what about shed hunting etiquette? I I don't shed That's hunt on most other people's we're talking about ground, it right <laughs> but like if if someone invites you to come shed hunting on their property, is the assumption that it's their shed, yeah. regardless of who finds it? I, I think so. What do you think, Forrest? Yeah, I mean that's that's how I am. Like, obviously, and I mean obviously, like all the sheds we find here, like all the big ones are going to be green sheds, which is an awesome thing. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I get so excited about shed hunting. Honestly, is when we find a big one, you guys sign them, get that certificate and auction them off at Whitetails and Limited Banquets and all that money goes to the Catch a Dream Foundation. So that's just kind of more of a reason to go and shed hunt, honestly. Yeah, that Dream Sheds program has raised several hundred thousand dollars over the past few it's years. Cool. And yeah. So basically Mark and Terry have donated their entire uh, shed, you know, piles from dating way back all these sheds that they find they donate all of the good ones and uh as, as Forrest said they sign them and we have a certificate and they get auctioned off at white tills unlimited it's a pretty pretty cool program it was something i didn't realize because we had those big rubbermaid totes of mm-hmm. sheds here in the studio for a while just how bad they stink when you when you put that many in one place and kind of close them up they stink yeah no, no. Well, somebody else's problem. We can <laughs> Some good Samaritan that that bought them. Hey, here's your Enjoy stink this bomb. Stink shed. <laughs> Cost you. I mean, some of them will go for a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. So what's cool about it? Those banquets. Everybody's in a giving mood, obviously, and they sure. know what the purpose of the program is. So they're outbidding each other, and a lot of times people will donate the shed back after they win it for it to go again for another round we've we've seen that yeah i mean it's the just the hunting community being you know supporting each other and and obviously catch a dreams a great organization and if folks don't know what catch a dream is is it's kind of like make a wish but it's focused on young young people with life-threatening illnesses uh giving them experiences in the field with fishing or hunting or something like that yep. that's that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise and yeah. it's pretty cool we've been teamed up with them for i think it was i've been here 18 years i think it would have been like my second year here first or second year okay we've been officially teamed up with them and it all started from they had a they were partners with moss yoke I guess unofficial partners of Mossy Oak and Mossy Oak had hang tags on all their garments that oh. promoted catch a dream and what sure. it was. And one of our team members at the time, Brian Thompson, who was on dream season, I think pros versus AMs. And he, he, the, he reached out to catch a dream and he made us aware of it through his, basically he took a, a catch a dream child on a hunt or went on a hunt and filmed it. Okay. And they raised a bunch of money for this child and nice. uh, or, or the group or whatever. Well, that's how we first got affiliated with it back okay. in dream season, season two, I think. Sweet. So been, yeah, a long time ago. 
Yeah, it's it's awesome, and, uh, and and not only do they donate the sheds, but uh, but they'll but Mark takes kids on hunts. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. Kid every year. Yep, absolutely. Every year, Mark takes a, a, a young boy or girl on a hunt there in Iowa, and we've been on tons of countless hunts down in uh, Terra Wildlife in Mississippi, and we it's been a long, long relationship, and and the folks over there, Dr. M- Marty Brunson, it's it's a great organization. So, yep. anyways, we got sidetracked a little bit, but that that's basically what we do with all the sheds is they all get donated to dream to dream sheds mm-hmm. so or putting them out for Forrest to fake find on this first day of work <laughs> that's right <laughs> did yes. that when you picked those that match setup did it have a signature on it already <laughs> no I'll at least be I didn't know darned <laughs> well no back back to your original question yeah like if say I went and shed her on Zach's farm and I found a shed off a deer he was hunting obviously I'm going to give it to him or um Say I went and walked with another team member or something like that. If I find a shed on their farm, I don't have any affiliation with the deer. It really doesn't do me much to try mm-hmm. to keep it. So I'm going to obviously give it to that person. So, yeah. And, and you guys, I mean, it's cool. You've built, you build up, it helps you guys build up that that's the part I'm envious of. You build the history with the deer yeah, sure. and you guys, you know, all have such a, um, a cool way of being able to, you know, you pass the deer, you see them year after year after year on these couple leases that I have, we never can build that kind of history. I mean, once in a while we can, but they're smaller pieces and Mm -hmm. they just, you know, we don't have quite the food in the late season. So we just never seem to be able to build that type of history. That that part I'm envious of. It's, it's cool to see that progression of a single deer year Mm -hmm. after year. Sure. Yeah. Maybe someday I'll be a big boy and do that too. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no guarantee. Yeah. In fact, it's pretty unlikely. <laughs> so. uh, oh, I had one other question. So if, speaking of, of etiquette, if someone, so say someone comes onto my ground and they shed hunt with me, it's assumed that those are my sheds if, regardless of what they find. Is it also assumed then when they ask like, hey, you want to go shed hunting my place that you reciprocate? I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, Zach comes, I mean, because you want to cover, the more sets of eyes you get, the more ground you can cover. Obviously, the more sheds you're going to find. So, um, like on, say you had a thousand acre piece, for one guy to walk that, it may take a lot of time. But if you can get three or four guys to come out, you may be able to cover it in a day. And then, mm-hmm. like one of those days, you may have spent walking another section of that farm. If they're like, hey, do you want to come shed up my farm? Or you may set up a weekend where you go walk like one of we me and zach may go walk one of terry's farms and then go walk some of zach's stuff and one of his leases or something like that sure. so the more eyes you get the more ground you can cover the more sheds you can. really even on a smaller track you know 100 acres it's nice to have a handful of guys that walk because you think about how easy it is to you know if there's leaves over it or you know from year to year you might find a shed that's two years old you're like man i missed this somehow the last two years it's like the more eyeballs you have and the closer you can kind of be to buy each other the better your odds are yeah so yeah um i i was gonna say we should also remind people like if you're new to shed hunting there's a chance you could find a deadhead this time of year and most states require some type of salvage tag or some type of permit to be sought in order to possess that tag. So if you've never been shed hunting before and you want to get out, like definitely do it. It's a ton of fun, but also recognize that there are some laws around that. Yeah, you would need to, you know, in those types of states, you could call your game warden, local game warden, and and tell them that you found it. And, you know, then they... A lot of times it may be they might tell you hey you can pick it up and i'll get you a tag later on or that you might have to leave it there you know and yeah. until they come and bring you the salvage tag to, yeah. to be able to take possession of it so one agent i was uh, interacting with here in the missouri in, in missouri she just wanted a picture of kind of where the deer died uh and I, I think like you could also you know check metadata for location but also you could see like this guy just didn't kill this deer yeah. or try something sketchy it, it looks you can see that it died and been there for a while yeah yeah so keep that in mind and some guys i mean just the reality of it some guys may have hit a deer in the fall and they never mm-hmm. did recover just a little blood trail or no blood trail or whatever the case may be and then they they find them later on and in that scenario too you need to call and let the game warden know how it played out you know right. the, the right. details behind it so right. i uh, was leading a hike with some people one time and we came upon a dead head and this lady 
who knew everything, said, oh, that's from a white-tailed deer. You realize they do this every year. Drive <laughs> the whole skeletal system, shed their, <laughs> their organs. Their cranium. Yeah. I was like, uh, well, not, not exactly. Not, not quite so much. <laughs> this one is dead. But immediately I get this image in my mind of a deer's head just like falling off in the woods and then the body walking away. <laughs> like, like a scene from Indiana Jones. <laughs> right. Just melts yeah, away. <laughs> that was terrifying as a kid. Uh, yeah. That and uh, Ro- uh, Roger Rabbit. <laughs> that Basically and a similar Large scene. Marge from uh, Pete. Wee's big adventure. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> All right. We lost Forrest. Hi, Forrest. <laughs> oh, I, also, I, love, I love on some of those shed hunting pages on social media where people post a picture and like, man, I found this big deadhead. You go and read and there'll be a bunch of comments. Man, he'll be really nice next year. <laughs> <laughs> it don't work that way. <laughs> All right. So moving on, unless you got anything else with shed, shed hunting or... I, I, the, only, the only other thing I was going to say is if you just really love sheds, if you really love whitetail antlers, like public ground, you can get into state parks, city parks, like places where there's a lot of, especially like suburbia, where there's a lot of deer. I'm going to try to get access to a new piece of property this spring by just asking to shed hunt it and then kind of see how it goes from there. But there's a lot of opportunity that could lead to hunting opportunity or just to find sheds where you wouldn't normally be able to hunt deer because it's, you know, shed hunting is a totally different type of activity. Sure. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I agree with that. A lot of people are more open to people allowing you to shed hunt than actually hunt. There too, just know the etiquette. You know, you may, you may have offer that, Hey, here's what I found on your property and you mm-hmm. got to leave them with them. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to pay attention to that kind of stuff. All right. So, so moving on this time of year, I know frost eating is a big part of the success for you guys and your food plots. Can I take us through real quickly what it is that's actually happening when you're frost eating and general strategy behind it? What, you know, the, the process itself. Okay, so frost eating, we only do that with our non-typical clover. Um, we'll go in. All of the plots we're frost eating are established clover plots already, so we're just kind of just throwing a little more seed on there. They, we've hunted over them. They've all been established for a couple of years. So we'll go on and put um, – we're putting half the rate, what we normally would. So if you're planting a new clover plot, um, biologic recommends 10 pounds to the acre. So we're putting um, four and a half to five pounds per acre on right now frost seeding. And we like to do it when there's a little bit of snow on because um, there's just a little bit. So that the concept behind frost seeding is as that ground freezes and thaws here in the spring, it's going to carry that seed naturally in so you don't have to like, actually work the soil up. Um, so we're just going on in while it's frozen. Um, and as that snow melts, it having a little bit of snow on when you do it helps carry that seed in a little bit better, we feel like. Um, but basically that freezing and thawing is what's going to carry that seed down in there into the soil. So if you have a, uh, okay, I know, for instance, I've done this in the past where we planted, say, um, trying to think, hold on, I lost my total train of thought on what the damn name of the product. Okay, okay, got it. We've had it in the past where we've planted last bite from Biologic, and it has clover in it. But it has a bunch of other stuff in there, too. And then that helps us establish the food plot. And then we go in and frost seed with clover, you know, this time of year. And then it becomes a clover plot. Are there any other types of food sources where you can do that with? I mean, technically, you could do it with any. Like, if you wanted to establish a brand new clover, like, if you say you planted a a food plot of maximum and radishes and stuff, you could go in and and frost seed that with clover and that freezing and thawing is going to carry that seed in um but you would just have to use a higher rate of seed so you'd use the full rate you could put 10 pounds on or um, 10 to 12 just going a little bit heavier um we just typically just do it in our established plots already and say like you were talking about last bite that's that's how we establish a lot of our clover plots and we actually add a little bit of extra clover into it in the fall when we plant it so there's already some clover seed in there as well more clover seed in there as well um but like that's that's an awesome product to use and then um if you just planted last bite i'd probably put like eight or nine pounds of seed on not go quite the full rate but put a little bit more seed in there so if you've had a food plot a clover plot that has basically kind of just you know for whatever reason it burned up or you know a farmer maybe 
mowed it too short or I'm speaking. Sounds kind of like a specific example. (laughs) And it just isn't producing anymore. Maybe the weeds overtook it, whatever. Can you come back from that by frost seeding or is there a certain diminishing point of return at at, at some period where you got to go in and say, you know what, we need to start from scratch here? Uh, Typically, we rip them up and kind of restart um, every every four years, they kind of start to, to wane away too much. Um, we did that to a couple of plots last year where we actually went in, ripped them up, um, and actually planted a host crop of oats in there just to get some soil stability in there. So we went in, used the RTP groundbreaker, planted oats in there. And then after that, because that clover seed's so small, you don't actually need to bury it because um, that rain will carry it in when it does rain. So we went, we drilled the oats in and then went and seeded over it. Um, so on a plot that's really destroyed, like you're talking about, I would recommend ripping it up and starting over. And you can do that in the spring. Um, I know Mark, we don't have one, but I don't know Mark and like Wade and Perry and those guys, they have an aerator um, and they'll go into a plot. If a plot's really diminishing like that, they'll go in the spring um, kind of on a day where it's just starting to melt a little bit and run over it with that aerator and then seed it real heavy. And they've had good luck doing that too. So they don't have to rip up the dirt in that instance. Yeah, they don't have to rip up the whole thing pretty much. Nice. But we don't have aerators, so we do it different than them. What time in, in spring are you talking like late spring or early spring when you go to plant a new clover plot? We did ours last year right before turkey season, so like beginning of April. Um, I like to do it earlier just to try to catch some of those rains because that clover seed, like it isn't going to rot. Like say, say you went and planted soybeans in early April. Like if we get a bunch of rain and snow and cold and they don't grow, they may rot. Mm. Um, but that clover seed, it isn't, it'll sit there and be fine. Um, as long, I mean, you could, you could technically frost seed in November if you wanted to, um, cause that seed is just going to sit there, but we typically do it earlier in the spring to try to catch some of those early rains. So as soon as that soil temperature gets warm, it's going to start growing. Okay. Good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And that clover has benefits for Turkey too. Like if you're looking oh, yeah. for a plot to pull some Turkey into. So, are you guys doing any kind of prescribed burns right now? Are you getting ready to, or is that, I guess that's kind of around the corner here as well. Cause I know that's something that about this time you start doing and then it's ready for kind of Turkey season. Turkeys love that freshly burned stuff. Yeah. So we'll start doing that probably middle of March coming up here. Um, I'll start mowing all our burn lines. We like to do it right before it starts to green up. Um, so I guess it kind of depends on temperature, but we typically burn in March at some point and we just kind of wait for the right conditions. But yes, those turkeys, I mean, if you can time it right to where that new growth coming up is a couple inches tall, I mean, the turkeys are going to be all over those burns. Like we hunt them pretty hard in the spring. I see. Do you ever, do you ever worry about turkey nesting habitat and, and doing a control burn? Um, like, uh, just the t- making sure the timing of that doesn't coincide. Um, I mean, in, in March, there's not going to be, or typically there's not going to be any birds nesting. Hmm. Um, like there's no fawns coming on yet. And if we get those timely spring rains, usually by the time those turkeys start nesting pretty hard, um, or those does start dropping fawns, that growth is, it's tall enough to where it can hide at least on the edges, um, it can hide those spawns or those turkey nests. Sure. Well, we've got a question of the day that is right up Forrest's alley, I believe. All right. The question of the day is probably brought to you by Cold Steel, professional blades for real hunters. All right, so this is a a guy uh, sent this message in. We have around a 1,000-acre farm and have food plots scattered through mostly timber. We plant winter wheat, clover, turnips, and radishes. We recently tried out some buckwheat, and to say the deer love it is an understatement. They have eaten about a five-acre field off to the off of the dirt. No, he says off to the dirt. They have also eaten every other field we have off to the dirt. Total, I would say we have around 50 acres of food with the rest majority oak and pine timber. I would say we need more food, but my question is, do you guys have a standard food-to-timber ratio you guys like to stick to? Thank you, Ken Brant from the Rack Pack. Forrest, this is a good question for you. So what kind of, do you guys have any kind of ratio? I mean, I, you guys have a lot of food, but dad's place is, has a lot of timber as well. Is there a certain ratio you're trying to hit? I mean, not necessarily. We just try to, can you, sorry, can you read what exactly he'd plant it again? 
Yeah, so he says that uh, they they have they plant winter wheat, clover, turnips, and radishes. They recently tried out some buckwheat, and the deer loved it. So they've eaten about a five-acre field off to the dirt. They've also eaten every other field we have off to the dirt. They have around so, 50 acres of food. So we were having – we were kind of having the same issue they were having, it sounds like, where they were eating. I mean, like our beans and corn, as they were coming up, they were absolutely mowing them down. So we went to more clover to give them that year-round food source and take mm-hmm. like because I mean that clover they absolutely love it. Um, so it takes a little bit of that pressure off some of those um, food sources that are maybe like for a certain time of year, it's like turnips and radishes. Obviously, those are mostly a fall food source. Um, so maybe plant a little bit more clover. Um, maybe change some of your some of your food plots have a little higher percentage of clover versus some of those other ones that you're planting. Um, but we don't, we don't necessarily have a set ratio of how much food to, to timber. Um, also, I mean, it sounds like maybe they need to up their doe harvest a little bit too. I mean, that's something we're really cognizant of here is we kill a pile of does every year just to take some pressure off the food. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't say that they have any, you know, corn or beans or anything like that. That might help as well, you know, and, and help with his overall, just another option for them to be eaten. Yeah. I mean, another, another thing we do up here too, is use hot wire. I mean, that's been very successful for us. Just go in, say we have a food plot where we want half of it to be left for deer season. We'll go in and we'll give them a little bit on one end of the food plot to eat and we'll hot wire part of it as well. And that's been really, really successful for us. And we did a podcast with Brandon Jennings where he went into great detail about how they go about hot wire, yeah. hot wiring their food plots. So we could link that up in the show notes and sure. you guys can go check that one out. But it's a lot of work and you got to have your ducks in a row leading into that. And because there's a lot of little parts and pieces you need to get. But once you got it, it's, it seems like you can get into a rhythm with that. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, Ken, make sure you message me in the rack pack and uh, we'll send you a hat for contributing this week's question of the week. Boom. Appreciate it. And we got the wildlife word. It's brought to you by Hunter Specialties, proud makers of the Drury Outdoors signature series of turkey calls. I I bet Force is getting ready to use some of those turkey calls, aren't you, buddy? There's a possibility. Heck yeah. (laughs) How long ahead of turkey season do you start annoying shanna with <laughs> turkey calling around yeah. the house uh i actually broke them out the other day <laughs> <laughs> february yeah. gotta get ready baby <laughs> yeah i killed my with a, with a box call last year i'm okay I'm big. I'm big on- <laughs> that's all i can use <laughs> i'm not as good with the mouth calls slate calls my favorite by far yeah yeah I just literally can't put the right sound. I mean, I can use it a mouth call, but it ain't going to yeah, sound it's not, good. Not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and I'm usually bow hunting. So having like both hands, run, like I running a slate call is fun, but like the box call, it tends to be a little easier. Well, the reality of it, a mouth, especially in your scenario, a mouth call would be the <laughs> way to be a little better at it. <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem. I'm the problem. Tim, you got about an hour drive to and from work. So I c- I can't stand listen to myself. <laughs> Me neither. I cannot stand. Like, that's the problem. That's maybe why the podcast uh, is not your favorite huh. outdoor podcast. Oh, it's all coming to light now. We're figuring <laughs> things out. Maybe if Tim and Matt just, uh, I don't know, talk? did less. <laughs> Weren't there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The Wildlife Word is brought to you by Hunter Specialties. Get you a Dre Outdoor Signature Turkey call. Uh, A wild turkey's beard is actually a modified A, spur, B, beak, C, a feather, or D, none of these, you idiot. Forced? Which is it? Uh, I'm going to go with feather, I think. Okay. C, feather. Yeah, I mean, that's fine, feather. I was going to say G. (laughs) Let's go with C. It is a modified feather. Yeah. Okay. Same same raw materials, just uh, engineered differently. Hmm. And they don't shed them every year. Contrary to popular belief, just keep they growing. keep them. Yeah. Ropes. Ropes. Love them. If they do shed, they're in trouble. <laughs> well, <laughs> whoa. that does happen, though, when they have to get some sort of like, I don't know, like. Parasite? Yeah. Dan- real bad drop. dandruff. What was that, Forrest? Beard rot. Yeah, that's what I was Beard of. rot? Yeah. 
Forrest knows things. That's right. He's an educated man. I like us. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to never get beard rot. <laughs> I don't exactly know what it is, but I know it causes the beard to rot off and kind of little. Bunch. I know it happens. That's a super it. fungal. <laughs> is there a noise associated with it when they drop their beard? Like a, <laughs> do- <laughs> a doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that sound, but I love it. <laughs> that one, not so much. That one makes me uneasy. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. Modified feather. All right. So. I think we've had enough fun for today. Yep, we did. Be looking Huge. for that uh, podcast survey in the rack pack. And do help us out. Fill that thing out, and we want to hear what you guys uh, and gals want more or less of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And we can take the heat. If it's be us, honest. let us know. <laughs> We'd be more than happy to stop. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go back to actual work. <laughs> Tim's uh, in the field on, re- on reporting today, and he's not at the desk. Yeah. There you go. All right, Forrest. I know you're getting ready to head over to Illinois. I'm sure you're probably going to look for a shed or two here soon. And uh, so just tell me, biggest shed you've ever found before you leave? Uh, 103 and a quarter inches. What? That was last year. Uh, Zach and I, we picked up um, the sheds off the deer that Jim actually ended up killing this year, the Matheny buck. And Zach found the first one. It was 100 inches. And we walked maybe there was a little patch of cedars and walked over into those. And I picked up the second size, 103 and a quarter. Oh, man. Probably never pick up one that big again. No. Did you try to hide it in your backpack and just pretend you didn't have it? Etiquette went out the window. <laughs> I actually did. Zach and I were separate, and he called me, and he's like, man, he's like, where do you think this thing is? And I was like, I don't know. Uh-huh. I started it on my backpack and walked up, and we were sitting there talking, and he was all of a sudden, he's like, what's on your backpack? I can see tines sticking up, and I spun around, and he's like, you son of a gun. <laughs> oh, you mean this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it pretty cool though. That's pretty awesome. For you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. A lot of history there. That's yeah. a de- whole different podcast. We should get into that whole different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That'd be a sweet little sweet little story on that deer. Cool. All right, cool. Well, we appreciate you jumping on. Safe travels to Illinois. Good luck. Shed hunting. And um, probably next time we'll talk to you. It's turkey season. Mm. Sounds good. Thank we'll, you. All right. We'll need advice on how to kill one. Might want to have Mark on for that one. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Good point. All right. Thanks, Forrest. Appreciate you. Until next time. Peace Sounds out. Good. Temperatures are going to be dropping. Perfect conditions for the skinny. Yeah, I got to focus on those afternoon hunts. Northwest Tree Stand, 5 p.m. It's the easiest decision you'll make this season. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast. We should do an, on- an ongoing count for the spring on sheds that you and I find. <laughs> I mean, I haven't found one in years. It's going to be a hockey game score. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's going to be. Soccer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, it was a tie. 0-0. Tim, zero, zero. Tim, Tim found a half of a shed. We think it's a shed. Yeah. It appears to be bone material.